everyone. I'm Mike Goldsworthy. Yeah, and I'm Blake Bryan, and we want to welcome you to the Tomorrowland Church podcast. Uh, we created this podcast to explore innovative ways transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. With that said, let's start the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tomorrowland Church Podcast. We are glad to have you here with us for our third episode. And of course, this is Mike Goldsworthy joined here with Blake Ryan. Hey Mike. Hi Blake. How you doing man? Good. You're looking really good today. Your beard is, you've got a good like quarantine beard that our listeners can't see going Thanks, right now. brother. Thanks man. I appreciate that. Yeah. It is, uh, it is looking pretty nice. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, if I do say so myself, you got a beard yourself, man. Not looking too shabby on that end. I do. Well, yeah. So you and I are out here in California and we have had a shutdown on, um, on like, uh, people cutting our hair and everything. And I mess up bad when I cut my own beard. So I just have the guy that cuts my hair do my beard. So I haven't seen him in a few months. So it's getting a little shaggy here. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know any better. I think something was maybe living in it. <laughs> I um I was one time I was one time doing some work with an organization that was out of state and they asked me to send a picture to them so that they could like have a face to go with me to the rest of the staff. Sure. And one guy looked at the picture and I just had I had a pretty gnarly beard going on at that time. And he goes, He looks like he could cut down a tree just by staring at it. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing that's ever been said about me. And then he saw your body is like, never mind. Yeah, no, that's why I have to stare at it. <laughs> good point. Oh, good oh, point. good times. Well, um, Blake, I thought before we got into this episode and we get to hear from, we've got a really, really great guest today. I'm, I'm really excited for, for everyone to get to hear from him. But before we get into that, um, I thought it might be fun for people to get to hear a little bit about how you and I originally met, because we have known each other for, gosh, like 20 or more years, maybe. Yeah, I remember when we used to look uh, fairly young, my friend. Uh, I, I don't have any pictures of that. I don't I don't remember that. But we did look younger at some point in time. And um, I came to to work as a youth pastor at a church plant that you were a part of. And I think that's how we first met, isn't it? Yeah, I was uh, I was at uh, Crossroads Christian Church um, as part of the worship team, and Mike Foster, um, who uh, leads people of the Second Chance and and some other things that that he's doing at this point, uh, he was also leading worship over at Crossroads, and he had been invited by Doug Love uh, to come plant a little church plant in Fontana called Summit Church. And, uh, you know, he asked me, um, as a drummer to come support him and, uh, you know, I was, I've had a heart for church planning and, uh, you know, it was pretty local to us and I say, Hey, why not? So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what drew me over, uh, to summit church. And then, uh, that's where I met you, man. Yeah, that's fun. And I got to know your family during that time who are just, um, super sweet. You've got a really great family. And uh, your brother was in the youth group when I was a youth pastor at the time. And um, that was just a really, I have really fond memories for the most part of like, you know, the times of showing up super early and loading out of, loading out of the, uh, the trailer, all of the equipment, setting up chairs and like this really like a bonding experience. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work as anybody in church planning knows. For sure. Um, and I remember, gosh, at the time Fontana was really, 
um, nothing, at least in that area that we were in, you know what I mean? It's grown quite a bit now. Um, but it's just, it's amazing to look back and, and funny enough, that's where I met my lovely wife, uh, Kim Ryan, as she was brought over by a friend to, to help with children's ministry. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, man, that's, uh, that's a very meaningful, uh, time, um, in my life. And so just so thankful that I got to participate in that, got to connect with you, um, you know, and, and, uh, be a part of that entire experience. That's so great. I think um, a part of why I wanted people to get to hear this is because you and I come out of such a um, a different experiences in sort of church life and from working at church plants to being a part of very, very large churches to working on the inside of churches to working with Plain Joe Studios where we get to help um, churches of all kinds of different shapes, sizes, strategies, philosophies, doing all kinds of different things. And, um, and I love that we get to bring our kind of experience of, of variety of church engagement into that. And so it's been fun um, just kind of tracking with you over the couple of decades and the work that you're doing has been really fun to watch. Absolutely, man. And it's, it's just been a joy, uh, like you said, just to, to see uh, churches from different perspectives, whether it be from the inside out or the outside in. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I think, you know, that's allowed us to grow our love for the church and just wanting to help the church in any way possible. So that's so good. Well, today we get to hear from, um, uh, uh, a really great church leader who actually started his church as well. Um, Dave Gibbons is the pastor of new song church out here in Southern California in Santa Ana. And, uh, I personally became aware of Dave, maybe about 15 or so years ago. He's one of the guys that I was paying attention to because he truly has this like futurist orientation in a whole lot of ways. He doesn't fit the mold of, of typical pastors. I think you're going to get to hear that in the interview. I um, particularly started paying attention to him as he first began to talk about third culture and what it means to connect in a third culture, which he'll talk about a bit in our interview. But then he also shares about his time in Thailand and how that changed the trajectory of his church. And I was I was really drawn into the stuff that he was doing there, and I'm excited for people to get to hear a bit about that. Yeah, he really is the man, the myth, the legend, um, you know, Dave Gibbons. And um, I actually first met him when I was helping Tony Wood um, with Moment Church uh, launch. And so we uh, actually used um, their their facility when it was in Costa Mesa. Um, in the evenings, uh, which was just a special time for us. But, uh, you know, we've had the pleasure of working uh, with Dave directly and New Song. I know that, uh, you know, Mel McGowan, our chief creative officer, worked uh, with Dave on their new location in Santa Ana. Um, And, you know, for, for Plain Joe, it's really... A lot of it is about this idea of redeeming sacred places. You, you know what I mean? And really, that is the mm. story of the, the Santa Ana location. And I know it was a massive change for the church culture of New Song to, to move to Costa Mesa, or excuse me, from Costa Mesa to Santa Ana. As you know, those are very, you know, different locations, <laughs> very different locations, you know, where Costa yeah. Mesa is a little bit more affluent. Um uh, and Santa Ana would wouldn't be considered, you know, affluent by by any means. Um, Much more of like what we what people might think of as a little bit more urban, a little bit more of a city. Correct. Yeah. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so it was just um, it, it was fantastic, you know, to see Mel walk um, with Dave and that, and us being able to support 
um, that transition. Um, and, and I know that was a hard transition, but I know it was one that Dave was called for. And uh, you can absolutely see the fruit from that. And so it's just a, it's a blessing to, to get that perspective, to look back and see, well, this, uh, you know, this was a game changer, not only for his church, but for him personally. And uh, just to, to be a part of that was a blessing. That's great. Great. Well, friends, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview that we have with Dave Gibbons. I can't wait for you to get to hear it. And so uh, stay tuned. Well, thanks, Dave, again, uh, for, for joining on uh, joining us on the podcast here. And uh, we know that you're part and, and lead a wonderful church, a new song here in, in Southern California. Uh, but we know that there's uh, so much more <laughs> to what you're doing. And there's, there's quite a bit uh, that you do outside the church and would love for you just to kind of describe uh, some of the, the work that you're doing um, outside the church at this point. Yeah, I, I consult. Uh, so I advise uh, people in Silicon Valley and consumer technology focused specifically a venture capital company. And then we have a portfolio of like about 70 different companies that we work with. And then secondly, I work in Hollywood. I work at Rideback Ranch, uh, which the guys that produce some films like, you know, you may have heard like the Lego movie or Two Popes. Um, wow. So I, 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 I'm an advisor there as well to the C-suite and to the team. And uh, so I work with them in terms of like culture, um, ex- executive leadership development and, and partnerships and then usually strategy uh, about personal life, their company life, and maybe some of the uh, exterior external work that they do. And then uh, I also work with New Song and uh, social nonprofits. New Song is a church that I, I started about 25 years ago. Uh, it was a multi-site church. Well, that's awesome. No, I appreciate that. And as you think through, um, you know, New Song and man, 25 years, that's that's amazing. And mm-hmm. congratulations. You, you know, as you think of uh, being a pastor um, at a local church, how has that helped kind of catalyze or maybe even hinder um, kind of your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bent, you know, your, your vision uh, to impact people? I think it helped a lot because they're uh, on the positive side. It's the systems are the same, whether it's like a marketplace or whether mm. church. You know, because there's operations, there's innovation. If it's a you know healthy church, there's innovation R and D. You know, there's there's customer care. So, you know, there's there's experiences. There's so there to me, it's all the same. So so that's why I think you see a lot of pastors who are entrepreneurial. They would probably do very well in corporate. I think the uniqueness that I found that helps in the in the marketplace is the what I call the spiritual intelligence piece, uh, which the market really needs and is hungry for, uh, but with non-religious language. And no, that's so, great. So that's what does that kind of look like? Um, well, it's, it's spiritual intelligence has to deal more with significance, transcendence, meaning, and purpose. Okay. You know, so it doesn't have to be centered around the uh, the the ideas that we have typically within our own denomination or our Christian uh, network. No, that's great. Right. Yeah, and yeah. has your I mean, obviously people people know of you. You're um, you know successful author, 
Um, how has that impacted uh, your ability to connect with people in the marketplace? Um, has, has that been helpful? Has that been kind of a hindrance um, getting to work with people that are more marketplace focused? I don't know if it helps. I, I, I think often it could be a greater hindrance if they, may, if they know your typical evangelical pastor, especially within the, the American landscape of evangelicalism today which has become very polarized because of the political persuasion um, that people have aligned themselves to. Um, so I, I find it as a hindrance a lot of times just from a, a marketing or branding perspective. I think, you know, and it, and, and underneath it all, it's a help because, you know, we do people work. We, we're all about people. And then the mystical, spiritual energy that you would call, that we tap mm-hmm. into, that we believe is, is true and authentic. So to me, there's so much positivity that we bring um, with spiritual intelligence and into the marketplace from the church. But I think it has to be relanguaged and also has to be um, done in a way that's non-manipulative and that's authentic um, and uh, engaging. Dave, um, I would love to go a little bit back in your story before we kind of like move forward. Mm -hmm. And I know like you had been building a church that I think if I remember right, was at one point, one of the fastest growing churches in America. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you had maybe, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, you had uh, a sort of like revelation, sort of like an experience that it was like, this is not what I'm building is not what I want to be doing. It, it somehow was unfulfilling. And that led you, uh, if I remember right, to Thailand. And you spent a year in Thailand. And, um, and I remember around that time, uh, another mutual friend of ours, Keith Page, mm-hmm. was doing some some work with New Song while you were, while you were there. Um, can you describe sort of that shift that happened for you and how you began reimagining the church? And then, and even like what, what it was about like going to Thailand, immersing yourself in a different culture and experience that gave you a new vision for what you were doing here. All right, man. That's a long story. That's like five hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. And that was a long question too. No, no. So I'll give you like the reader's digest or the the quick summary of it. Um, I don't even think people read reader's digest anymore. Uh, (laughs) Uh, there was a set of questions that, that came. And to me, that it was very provocative. And it's something that I felt I heard. And I, again, I don't come from a charismatic background, but I heard these voices. Um, one was at Anaheim Convention Center. We had 5,000 young people streaming into the, the center there for Easter services. Right before I went on stage, I heard a voice, is, is this it? Hmm. And that it was my definition of success because it was like, our dream as a, a church planter or church leader that you're seeing 28 year olds pack out a place. So it's all about the next generation. And, um, but it really kind of rocked me. I, I took it, I, I, I digested it, you know, finished the service, everything went well. Like, you know, typically how you'd measure things in terms of numbers and energy, um, people getting involved, commitments, all that stuff, but something kind of bothered me. Um, but I put it away because you're just busy. You know, if you're if you're an entrepreneur, you're building stuff. You're just running like crazy, trying to catch up. Yeah. You're building teams. You're meeting people. Running organization. You're being creative. All that. And um, we the next iteration for us in the evolution of New Song was to get land. 
and the and the typical church planning language was don't don't find a box that's, or don't get a box that's too small because you're going to grow into that small box. Always try to get a bigger box, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road to get as much land as you can. And so the land that we saw was like this primal piece off Jamboree and five and Southern Cal, which was mm-hmm. right on off the interstate five freeway. And so we would have visibility with all these cars going up and down five. So it's obvious like, that's it, man. That's the piece. And so we were about to get the land uh, going into escrow when at the last second, the company that developed the land said, called us and said, you can't get it. We, I said, what are you talking about? We're about to go into escrow. They go, well, another company came in and offered a million dollars more than whatever you would pay. Oh, wow. And uh, I said, who? They said, it's Kia Motor Company. And I said, man, these are my own Korean brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> They're jacking me up, man. Yeah. And so... Uh, it, it threw me for a loop because we'd raise a little ton of money. In fact, you know, your studio that, you, you know, you guys work with, we, we drew up the plans. Mel helped me, Mel McGowan helped us draw up the, these beautiful plans of the prodigal father or the father receiving the prodigal. We had these buildings with arms going out. These found, it was really crazy, like designs and stuff. It was really good. And suddenly, you know, this whole ramping up to get the destination center. That was the focus. Be yeah. the destination center in the city. So everybody will come to you. In other words, create your own little Disneyland. And that way, you know, you'll be the place that you'll be known for this. Uh, you know, all of a sudden that's gone. I said, how am I going to do that? And already we were doing multi-services, multi-sites, you know, global multi-sites. You know what? Uh, and I just started saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so... Uh, in my disappointment, I heard a, a couple more questions and he says, I heard, I thought you said it was, wasn't about the building, but what happens inside the building? Mm. I said, dang it. That's right. And, Cause Rick Warren had told us how to do like these campaign raises, you know, remember those, there's like these series of, of talks on how to raise capital. Yeah. Yep. So yep. I it was, it was like 99 bucks. So I bought that. And then, and then, uh, I go, dang it. And then I heard, well, maybe what's more important is what happens outside the building. And then this is the question that rocked me, that totally trashed my whole vision. Like, it was like, what would the church look like if it's not contained on a piece of land? Mm-hmm. Remember, this is 15 years ago. Yeah. It's yeah. all about getting the destination center. At some point, get the land. Everybody's going to come to it. I, I had no idea. And then I heard another question. Um what if you don't have to plant any more churches? What if the churches are already there? Again, so I'm just like, it's like someone's talking Martian. That's when I went to Thailand and then yeah. everything design principles came. And that's what I created eventually over the next 15 years. What like, so when you started thinking, what if I don't have to plant churches anymore? What if, what if it's already there? How did that start to like, you even like practically start to work itself out at new song. Well, what happened, it was outside the church because I think okay. if you're inside it and you're running it. It's like, it's really, you're not going to see it because right. most people aren't, don't, they don't have the brain or the, the mental capacity to receive it because they're so busy and this, it's working. You're not going to question something that's successful. Um, but I think what happened is two things. One was when I came back, I started, I think, not because I wanted to, but I, it started a painful process because I, I told the church, I think I did this wrong. Um, oh. 
So I need to ask for your forgiveness. I think if how did people respond to that? It was like you could hear a pin drop. Mm, Yeah. And then people started leaving because I, I basically said that I think if God were here, I think he'd probably plan a church in Santa Ana, which is like 10 minutes away. Because we got a lot of churches here in Orange County, in Irvine, Newport Beach. I said, but this is where the gangs are. This is where the undocumented are, uh, the people who are hurting. And I said, I think he'd go there. And that's when you could hear the pin drop. And literally, you could just feel like this shuffling of feet going out. I mean, they were sitting there being nice. But you could just feel people are, I'm out of here. Sure. Um, and then, so I think pain was what kind of helped move it forward. And then secondly, you know, the pain of, of dwindling numbers and then having to deal with the de-escalation of the, uh, the economy, the economic side. And then that's when 2008 too, remember 2008 was horrible for everybody. So it yeah. just added the intensity of financial pressure. Um, but it caused you to relook at everything, like the metrics, like how do we measure things? And then pastors' roles, like do you need a full-time worship leader? Um, if they're not building teams, uh, you know, okay. do they need 40, 50 hours to, and, and, and do they want to be focused as only on Christian genre music, you know? So there's all these questions. Right. Uh, and then, and then what happened is that these business leaders, start, you know, they felt, they always felt like they could relate, I guess, to me. So they started calling me. So I started doing these one-on-one consults and they said, man, Dave, this is really good. And then I, then I started developing these products of how to assess and then how to develop a person. And then, and then I saw it worked in the marketplace and then just kept on getting traction. Like, oh, wow, this is what we would do. So when I was outside the church doing this, because when I tried it internally, it caused too much disruption because already it was disruptive enough to change a philosophical approach to engagement of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to add like these other pieces to it, it was just more, yeah, combustion. So I just had to create a separate entity to R and D it. So I started R and Ding it with these individual and their companies, and then I saw, wow, this works. And eventually, New Song started adopting it. You know, we did some beta runs, and then it started growing with a New Song. That's interesting. So really, your model was rather than trying trying the new things in the church, it was trying the new things outside of the church. And then as you learned there, you then took those things and adapted them to what you were doing within the, the constructs of, of New Song Church. Yeah, because, you know, because you'll find it like, again, if you're if you're guarded about the institution, you know, you can't really have sometimes the speed necessary to deal with things. And so um, whereas if you're in an entrepreneurial Silicon Valley environment and the landscape has changed economically in 2008. People were looking for shifts, whereas right. the church wasn't really looking for that because there was a successful model of the mega church and multi-siting and church planting. But in, from a, from I, but a marketplace mindset, man, things were have totally changed, and so so I was able to I think just kind of roll with it and then and create product that would work. Okay, so um, let let me ask you this because. You haven't talked about, you started an organization called, is it called Zealots? Is that how you pronounce it as well? Yeah, now it's called X. We moved from Zealots to X. Okay, so it's called X. And so you have, like, it's just real obvious already. You have all of these ideas constantly swirling. You're thinking about things future. You are um, experimenting with stuff outside of the church. You're connecting with all kinds of different leaders and stuff. 
do you have any kinds of like intentional practices, rhythms, things that you do that help you to not be somebody who's just reacting to the present moment, but who is thinking future oriented, who is thinking beyond just what's happening and just um, consuming church culture, leadership ideas that that's what you're supposed to do, but that you kind of, what, what is it that you're doing that's allowing you to blow up these boxes and to let that be a constant part of who you are? I think, I think there's two macro things you, one has to consider. One's your mindset and the secondarily is your movements. Okay. Uh, you know, otherwise, you know, like your practical rhythms that you establish. But I think if you don't have the mindset, you're not going to be able to go there. You know, because so for, for example, um, we, we embrace a concept called third culture. Mm-hmm. And, I say, and I say third culture is the mindset and will to love, learn and serve in any culture, even in the midst of pain and discomfort. So it's having that mindset, the mindset and will to love, learn and serve um, in any culture, even in the midst of pain and discomfort. So that loving is really the requirement is listening and you're, you're learning. You're, there's like a respect that someone else knows more than you. Um, whereas I think from church leadership perspective, we think sometimes when we got it, this is how you do it. It's successful when really the whole game has changed. Um, so I think churches have no idea the shift that has already occurred, but it's already, it's going to continue to expand and grow. So I think mindset wise, you have to be in a learner framework, believing truly that someone knows more than you do. A lot of people know more than you do. And, and then also you have to go with a, a mindset that you're like a Martian and then you're, and you're, you're dropped into the planet earth and you have no idea about church planning. Hmm. You know, it's just like a very humble, like act like you don't know. Yeah. And then this, so this receive and then, and then be curious. Don't be defensive to stay very super curious. Um, trusting that you don't have the right tools, uh, language necessary probably for the next iteration. So you have to just believe that you don't, uh, um, even though you don't really believe it, you have to act like it. And, yeah. then, and then I would say movement wise, in terms of some practices that help is, is number one, be with people and cultures that are vastly different than what you're used to. So typically, like, for example, churches think they're being multi-ethnic and cross-cultural because they hire someone of a different color and then that one color represents that whole race you know huh. it's kind of ridiculous and then because that color of that you hired may actually still be white in sub sub suburban culture right they so to me but suddenly we, we saw the problem by hiring that color and i said no 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 it's it's really it's it's color and culture you know it's a both and so i would say there needs to be an intentional um, development of relationship and authority and power given to uh, um, these leaders that are on the outskirts of your siloed culture. Yes. If you don't do that, it's like even in this program, if you only talk to people from white suburban evangelical churches, you're in trouble. You can't really talk about the future. You're talking about the future of the silo, which is going to be very narrow. You have to go into a black church um, you have to go to Africa, Cape Town, see what's going on in Cape Town. You got to go to Sao Paulo and see the youth movements going on there. You need to go to Asia, yeah, you know, and talk to these people on the frontier of technological advances and e- economic advances that America's right now behind on a lot of these areas. Yeah. 
So I would say that's the rhythm of intentional relationship with cultures and people vastly different than what you're used to. In fact, you're uncomfortable. Hmm. And this includes social economic. And this also includes race, culture, um, and geography, because geography makes a difference when you're contextually in a different environment. Uh, So I would say that's a big one. And then I would say with that, you need to read outside of your normal persuasions, like read authors that disagree with you, um, that aren't from the Christian evangelical spectrum, whether they're New Age, Buddhist, Muslims, Black Lives Matter, maybe outside the people's gate, uh, uh, landscape, dig into it. I mean, dig in, again, not as an authority, as a learner, you're humble, you're loving. Yeah. Um, and then I would say the other rhythm would be, note the language of this generation. It's like, keep being like a linguist. Hmm. Because right now there's a new language being created. And the language of the church is not connecting. It sounds like a sales opportunity. Huh. It's very sales and very business, which is not bad. All those are part of any growing organization, but that's how we lead. We sound too, we're going to be nice to people so that they can come to church. This generation picks that up right away. Um, and so they're manipulated. And so they, the other thing I think the church has to deal with, if they're going to be innovative, is they really have to deal with the core real issues of our day. Um, which is sexuality and race. If we don't honestly deal with those two things, no one's going to listen. You're written off. So good. That's so good. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, that's super helpful. And and Dave, you know, I just wanted to follow up, you know, um, on that, you know, when you talk about kind of this, this, this R and D, right, this, this hub for innovation that you use, um, to, to then see what works and doesn't work. And then you implement it into the church, um, for those things that work, you know, as you're, a lot of people think of R and D as really problem solving, right? They, they see something, um, and the R and D is there to try to try to figure out how to solve that problem and, and get there. Um, and you mentioned a few, um, you know, just previously, but, you know, as we start thinking of the, the church of the future in 20 years, you know, from now, what what are in your mind the biggest things hindering the church from getting there and not just getting there but being successful because the church i think you would agree has probably lost its place a little bit in culture it's probably a, an organization that follows follows culture but it doesn't set culture uh, like it used to at one time so what are the what do you think are the kind of the biggest hindrances to the church in in 20 years it's culture. It's the culture that we've created and uh, the alliances that we have. Uh, for example, I think a lot of our Christianity is aligned to a political party. Mm. And, and then uh, if you take it a little bit deeper, it's, 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 the alliances are based more upon singular issues that are important to our community. You know, what, you know it could be uh, pro-life. It could be um, Supreme Court justices. And so, um, so culturally, you know, we've aligned with certain types of voices and, and powers um, at the sacrifice of maybe um, uh, who we are truly called to become. And so there, there's, a, there's a disparity, there's this huge gap 
I think from a world perspective, you say this, but you do this. And so what we've done philosophically is we, we believe the end justifies the means. And so, you know, we'll put up with this leader because we get this. And so it's an exchange. But then when it came to the other party, when they had moral issues, man, we were all on top of that. So I think the world just sees that. So I think there's a hypocrisy culturally that we have to be honest with that. And I don't think people are. And and they excuse it and they cater to power at the sacrifice of losing what we would call our witness or even our our authenticity, our integrity as a people and community. And if you lose that, you're not trusted. So the Christian institution is not trusted. Um, because you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Because we, they saw what you did with before with the other leaders, and look what you're doing now. And you're not. And then the second thing is you're you're quiet. You're you're quiet. You're not saying anything. You're talking about peripheral things. You're not talking about the things that really matter to us. And if you do, that's all you're doing. You're talking. So that's the other thing is, you know how to talk, but you're just doing it because that's your game. You're you're you're, you're paid to talk. Yeah. Yeah. You have no authority because you're you're not in the streets with me. Yeah, you don't know my pain. No, that's good. How how um you know for for those listening and that being the challenge, you know, sitting in front of the church. How have you been able to kind of implement some things, you know, in the local body to 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 start, um, you know, even with your own church, um, you know, heading in the direction that you see. Well, here's the reality. I don't think most churches are going to intentionally do this. Hmm. I think it's going to happen because of severe pain. Gotcha. I was listening to Parker Palmer in uh, 20, 15, 20 years ago. And he said, most people don't choose spiritual disciplines. He says 10% of the people do 90% of them have to go through some type of pain before they institute disciplines. And I feel, unfortunately, that's what's going to happen in the church. Few, I feel the listeners will feel the impetus to go this deep and hard. Because it's successful right now. But if one just even simply looks at what's coming with the robotic revolution and the AI, where by 2030, you know, up to 30% of our jobs are gone to robots, that's going to cause a severe crisis economically and also societally with depression, suicides. Because you're, And they say, you know, Andrew Yang alluded to this in the Rogan interview, is that the swing states were where... Um, the jobs were lost to robots with that. The, the states that elected uh, the current president. Yeah. And so this is going to be a major revolution that's happening. So if that means the economics are going to be difficult, that means churches have to worry about their budgets and, and, and they're, they're already indebted because of the land and because of what we're putting into the land and buildings. It's not just buying it. You have to keep it up and then you have to keep up with the programs that you think. Are, but what if you have pandemics, multiple pandemics, Right. And right. what if people actually like being at home more because they have more time and they, they can invite friends to their house and watch you online. In fact, they don't have to watch you. Your sermon was good. But man, I caught this other guy accidentally and he's even better. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, yeah. why I, this music, man, this sucks when, man, this other, I can just plug in this other music. Man, it's awesome. And so to me, it's like people are, they don't realize that they're being awakened to a whole ton of resources and so your church is not the main game anymore. Yeah. I really think there's a def- there's going to be deconstruction of what we know into smaller customizable units. And then I uh-huh. think that the church has to be ready to create a leadership pipeline 
that's really about not the building of our personal vision for the city and the nation, but it's really about capturing the vision of these individuals in these smaller communities. How do we support that? So the whole pipeline, we would call it discipleship in the church. In a secular marketplace, you call it human development or leadership development. That is the magic that one has to focus more upon what we call the operating system, which includes culture, leadership processes, values, beliefs, vision. You have to focus on that and then focus it upon a a model that is not simply an in-person model because it's inefficient. Because even from a practical counseling perspective, I, we work with technology where if you answer some questions, we, we have some solutions already for you that a counselor would say to you. And it's going to be a ton cheaper. This is free. Yeah. So why isn't that going to happen with pastoral work? Right. So there are, there are women and men like you who are challenging some of those systems that are seeing like the systems of the church as like trying to be ahead of the game, recognizing like things are changing. And while you feel successful right now, that's not going to be the reality five years from now, maybe even less than that with all that's happening right now. Yeah. And Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I, I, one of the things that I'm experiencing are those kinds of leaders don't fit in the church oftentimes And even like, as we're talking right now, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, actually, who leads a large church is, um, an email is going out to his church that he's, he's resigning. He's essentially being pushed out of his church Mm -hmm. for challenging some of those systems, for speaking up about racism, for, um, questioning the way that church is happening and trying to push the church forward. So while there are some places where people will want to preserve those systems, there are people who are pushing against it and they're, they're they're being pushed out of that system. What, what would you say to like my friend as he's trying to figure out like, how, how do I move forward as a person who's trying to challenge those systems and the system is rejecting me? What do I do now? Yeah. Um, well, first I would just acknowledge the pain of that. It's really painful and it's confusing and you feel betrayed. Uh, so I think one has to guard against cynicism and betrayal because people just are like children. They're, they're just responding to what they know. So one has to forgive, you know, and keep that spirit mm-hmm. as best you can. It's really hard. And trust me, because I, I had the bitter spirit for a long time. Right. Uh, I had to work through it. But once you get past that, you have to look at what's available. You know, uh, if you're a good entrepreneur, whenever there's a major crisis, you have to see that this is your potential for advantage. Um, but great leaders see opportunities during this moment. So if you weren't to focus on the current institution, what would you do? Now, this this also needs to be about an assessment of yourself. Am I called to be like Peter or Paul? Am I supposed Mm -hmm. to be like Peter and stay within the institution and be satisfied with potentially nuanced movement? Or am I called to be like the Apostle Paul? Or man, I'm on the frontier, dude. I like being out there just kind of creating, seeing what's going on with a new culture. If you're more like Paul, I would say, you know, it's important for you, for him to see that there's these opportunities where he could probably work with individuals and companies and he may multiply his influence a thousand times what he did with that church. If he's if he's purely looking at or she is purely looking at metrics of influence and development, you could do that through one company. 
you know, an example of this is um, when I was in Bangkok, I had this design principle came to my mind, you know, because when you're starting a church, it's like you're trying to reach as many people as possible. And so, you know, 80% small group participation, you know, X right. amount of people coming right. to our churches that are new. You know, we're just trying to get, you know, do, how many people know our names in the city, all this type of stuff. But when I was there, um, I felt God brought me one person who came to me just kind of like, you know, very kindly. He, he's a Buddhist. And he came to me going, hey, I'm a new Christian. Can you develop me? I like what you're doing here, you know, and hanging out. I said, yeah, I, I, I find out about this guy. He's actually a composer of music in, in Thailand. In fact, he has 80% brand recognition in all the nation of Thailand. Wow. So that means 65 million people are in Thailand. 50 million people know him. When he has a, a concert, 10 to 30,000 people show up. And then I felt again, because I had these moments of clarity when I was going through discipleship with him. And then I felt God discipled me where God said, hey, Dave, how long would it take you to reach the nation of Thailand? <clears throat> and I said, I couldn't do it in my lifetime, most likely, from a human perspective. And, I, you know, because I didn't even know the language. I have struggles with it. And then he goes, uh, how long would it take Boyd? Hmm. I said, he could do it in one day. Wow. And this, everything flipped for me. It was like the matrix. The numbers are falling. Yeah. You know, my world, I go, oh my God. I go, and then I wouldn't have to work as hard. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have to raise capital all the time and do all this planning of the future. Uh, he's already there. He's already influencing 50 million people. I go, oh, this is hurting me. I go, well, and then you start thinking about living everything you've created and you create this monster of this expansion and never stops. I'm always thinking future. I'm thinking future so much. I can't even be present. Mm. <laughs> so I can honestly look wow. back at like 30 to 40 years of my life. I wasn't present with my family, man. Wow. I was always thinking ahead. Even when I was going to a family event on a weekend, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait till we're done on Sunday. You know, I'll, I'll get through this, but you know, I can't wait. I couldn't enjoy a moment. That's how wow. horrible it was. And I felt God rescued me to show me, hey, listen, I can lead you to one and they could change the whole nation and you won't have to work as hard. And in fact, you may love it because you really get to know people and, mm -hmm. and see the beauty of that person. And then everything started changing. So when I came back, you know, 15 years ago from Thailand, I just started thinking, what would it look like if I developed one person well? And what if I treated them like a, they were my son or my daughter? What type of programs would I create? Who would I want to mentor them? Would I give them cookie cutter stuff? Or would I really listen to them and understand them, assess them like I do these, these leaders these, who are paying me a lot of money to do these assessments? Would I go that deep to know them? And then would I customize their journey of development so that they would accelerate into their destiny? Whether they're Christians or not, as a parent, would I just purely love them? Hmm. So everything I started doing revolved around those design principles. If this is my son or daughter, and if this is one leader, how would I want them to be equipped? What competencies should they have? What would I create culturally, institutionally? That's really beautiful. Dave, I love this. And I think that's a good note for us to close out on the idea of um, creating the future by being fully present and by being fully present with, with one person. And um, 
gosh, you have said so many things that are so challenging and um, thought provoking. And I think I'm going to be sitting with this for a while. I'm, I'm really grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Blake. It's good being with you. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Man, that was uh, that was awesome. And uh, you know, what I love about Dave. He he never disappoints. Um, and so now I know why they call him the man, the myth, the legend. And uh, man, just a. a some great content um, that that came out of that, and one of the things that that kind of hit me. There was two things really yeah. um, that hit me uh, about um, the interview. There, one was uh, just this idea that he says, you know, one of his practices is to make sure that he is connecting with people and cultures that are vastly different um, than himself, ones that basically make him uncomfortable. And I think that's just so important for us because I think sometimes in Christendom, you know, we can we can kind of get into the box and we get really we get really comfortable in that box and kind of surround ourselves uh, with people that look like us, that talk like us, that think like us. And, uh, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing is just God's creation is so, you know, divergent, it's so different. And um you know, there's just aspects of other people's culture um, and aspects of of their, you know, their personalities and the way that they think that that really just brings kind of this beauty uh, to humanity, if you will. And um, so, you know, that was just something that challenged me uh, while yeah. we were kind of listening to that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the things that has happened far too often is that it's like, the churches look like one of five churches because they're all reading the same stuff. They're all learning from the same people. And it becomes this like little mini echo chamber. And, um, and innovation requires you to move outside of sort of the space that you're most comfortable in. Not, and he talked about not only interacting with uh, people and cultures that are different than you, but he, he talked about reading outside of your normal persuasions, reading authors who you disagree with, like, and, and sort of like forcing yourself to be learning from and being in spaces um, uh, both physically in spaces, but also just like kind of like mentally in, in who in who you're engaging with podcasts, books, whatever, that push you outside of what you would normally be in. And it seems like for churches to move forward, to be a Tomorrowland kind of church, like that seems to me to be really significant. Yeah. The other thing uh, that really just stuck out to me when, when Dave was talking was really, um, you know, his plan and reaching people for Thailand. You know, I think, you know, obviously God has um, impressed that on his heart. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a fairly daunting and overwhelming thought, you know, when God sends you halfway across the world, you know, to reach uh, a country or a community uh, for him. And one of the things that I love that he said, because I think it's a little bit counter what we've learned in the past is that, you know, we, we come in, we have something and, uh, you know, we're going to provide that thing of value and it's us doing that directly. Uh, but what I loved about what he said is, you know, it, it wasn't through him really at all. It was actually one guy that he had met that had incredible influence on the people at Thailand. It's because of his influence into that one person that this one person was able to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And, and I just think that's a really good learning lesson. It's like, instead of us coming in with what we think we have to offer 
and directly trying to connect with thousands of people. Who can we find that are influencing these communities, influence them and allow them to influence people for Christ? I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I like that. I think that's really good. Dave, one of the things that I've learned from Dave is the idea that like we're not bringing God into a place that God's already there and there are already people who um, the spirit has been working on and moving and doing things with. And so it causes us to not to have a posture of humility and to not come in with like, here's I'm going to fix it all and I'm the savior and I've got all the right ideas. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for joining us on our third episode of the Tomorrowland Church podcast. Tomorrowland Church is produced by Caleb Henry. You can hire him. Reach out to him at caleb.m.henry97 at gmail.com. Our music has been created for us by Scott Moore. You can find Scott and connect with him at one more Scott. It's all spelled out. O-N-E-M-O-O-R-E, Scott at gmail.com. Talk to Blake at Blake at PlainJoeStudios.com or if for some random reason you want to talk to me, Mike G at PlainJoeStudios.com. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to being with you again next time.